The, uh, oh, now it's working. Okay. It's an interesting theological subject that almost never it's spoken about on Sundays. Um, we almost come to a point in our society in which people are kind of ashamed to talk about angels. Definitely ashamed to talk about demons. It's out there in the realm of, you know, unicorns and leprechauns. Maybe I shouldn't say that in an Irish place. <laughs> and people think, you know, angels, that's fine for little kids, holy cards and first communion pictures and things like that. But I mean, come on, angels. There's really angels. Yes, there are. There are. And that's what we like to, to speak about. Some of the people will say, um, you know, what difference does it make? Do you believe in angels or not? What difference does it make? Believe in angels, don't believe in angels. Do you have to believe in angels to get to heaven? No, but it helps. But think about this. One of the things I'm going to say is that every angel is a person. An individual substance of a rational nature. It's the textbook definition of a person. Now, this person... And each person has one. There's really such a thing as a guardian angel, just like you learned way back when. Okay? Is an entire order of creation superior to yourself? A good way to think about that is you are, to your guardian angel, somewhat like your dog or your cat is to you. Okay? An entire order of creation higher. Now, this creature created by God, has direct vision of God and an assignment to get you to heaven. Now, if all of the above is true, does it matter if you believe in angels? you darn right it does. You've got a friend in a high place. You could say, um, you know, you could, have a, you could have a Swiss bank account in your name and not know about it. It's not going to do you any good. You could, you don't, I promise. <laughs> and if you do, yeah, we'll talk afterwards. But you can have, um, you can have, you can have gold buried in your backyard and not know about it. It's not going to do you any good. So what I would like to do is kind of help you to understand this a little better. And my point in saying all of this is hopefully, when everybody walks out of here this evening, you will make the reality of angels part of your daily spiritual life. That would be a great help. Okay? So, first thing we have to do, though, is we have to kind of talk a little bit about the skepticism that people have towards angels. You may not have thought about this, but everybody in this room is an intellectual child of the Enlightenment. Okay? The Enlightenment is not a bad thing. But philosophically speaking, it has led to some untrue conclusions because it's got some untrue propositions. Okay. You could say that the Enlightenment began, intellectually speaking, with Rene Descartes, the great philosopher in his book, Discourse on Method. He had this famous quote, I'm sure you've all heard it, cogito ergo sum, I think, therefore I am. Defining his own existence in terms of himself and his own experience. Not in terms of reality out there that he comes to know, but making it all subjective. Now this was 
a complete Copernican revolution in intellectual thought. It subjectivized everything. Now, there are some conclusions and some consequences to this. One of the consequences of this is that people began to believe that the only things that are real are material things. If it's real, you can touch it, you can see it, you can measure it, you can weigh it, you can look at it under a microscope, or all of the above. And if you can't, it's not real. And so immaterial things like beauty and love, these were all redefined as subjective projections. So people said there's no such thing as beauty and there's no such thing as love. It's all just sort of inside of you. Another consequence of the Enlightenment that has kind of made angels seem unreal is that the human mind can understand everything. If it's real, the mind can grasp it. And this is known as rationalism. So materialism and rationalism put together have led to some false consequences. The false consequences that they've led to, not only in terms of putting all of reality in subjective in terms of itself, but it's made anything spiritual, by definition, something not real. Now, that's not true. There's plenty of spiritual realities. I've already named you the spiritual reality of love, or the spiritual reality of beauty, the spiritual reality of courage, or anything you could take. Courage, what does courage look like? How much does it weigh? What color does it have? Uh, what does it look like under a microscope? People could talk about a story of courage, some soldier on the battlefield, but that's just one instance of it. What about the reality of it? There are spiritual realities. And so to begin with, we almost have to kind of face the fact that we have been thinking in enlightenment, materialistic, rationalistic terms, and it's not necessarily true. Okay. Now, if you if you can't get past that, everything else I'm going to say doesn't make any sense. Okay. So, hopefully, you got your mind around that. All right. Now, um, we're saying that we've got these spiritual creatures known as angels out there. How do we know? First thing I'd like to say about that is Thomas Aquinas says you can't prove it the same way you can prove God. Okay. It doesn't mean that you can't know it, but you can't deduce it the same way that you can deduce, or maybe I should say induce, the knowledge of God from the world around you. How do we know about angels? Well, there's three ways generally that are known as the, the sources of, of our knowledge about angels. One is scripture. Okay? This is something of an insider's argument. If you hold to the truth of the Bible, I can point to you from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation, Instance after instance of angels from the very beginning to the very end. It takes all kinds of smoke and mirrors to say that none of that's true if you're also going to say you believe in the Bible. Okay, so it's all across the scriptures. Second thing, and this one's a little bit more tenuous, there's lots of people who have had experience firsthand with angels. And their accounts are quite credible. Nothing that I've ever experienced in my life, but I know three others who have. I know them well. They're perfectly rational. They're perfectly sane. And they tell me stories of when they came face to face with an angel, one of them face to face with a demon. Okay? 
and I have every reason to believe them. And these are not stand-alone stories. I'll tell you one story, okay? This woman I know, who had a four-year-old daughter, walked by the daughter's room, and the daughter would be sitting in the corner, looking up in the corner of the room, talking, making no sound at all. And this would happen a few times. She thought she was playing some game. And so finally, the daughter, she goes into the room, she talks to the daughter, and the daughter, she says, who are you talking to? And she says, Mommy, can't you see? I'm talking to the angel. And she continues going on talking. It's like, no, you're playing a game. Mommy, can't you see? I'm talking to the angel. Come on, come on, Mommy, we're going shopping. We're getting out of here. Bye, angel. And I believe the person. I believe the story. I'll tell you one other story. There is a woman I know whose mother was dying in the hospital. And you know how people are at the end of their lives. You see somebody, maybe they're comatose or something like that. And almost miraculously, this woman, eyes open wide after being completely out of it. You know how they are for weeks as they come near death. Eyes open wide, jaw drops, says, Mother, Mother, what is it? And the woman says, The angels. The angels. Can't you see them? The angels are coming. Breathes her last and dies. Now, give me a break. That's darn believable, especially if you know the person involved. Um, so people have experience with angels. You can take that for what it's worth, though. You don't want to believe that? That's fine. One last source is reason. It makes sense that there are angels. I heard a poll recently that said that 74% of all women and 68% of all men believe in the reality of angels. My first thought was, who cares? 100% of all angels believe in the reality of you. Okay? That's the point that matters. And it makes perfect sense that there should be angels. Now, you get this from creation. Look at the world around you, and there is this unbroken succession of creation that gets more and more and more and more and more complex. You start with minerals. You start with rocks. You move towards basic um, living organisms, single-celled organisms. I recently heard of a single-celled organism that carries out photosynthesis. No one's sure whether it's a plant or an animal. It moves around. Kind of defies definition. Multi-celled organisms, simple animals, more complex animals, your dog, your cat, a dolphin, a gorilla. I heard a story in my psychology class about a gorilla. They taught him how to speak in sign language. Couldn't form words with his mouth. And this gorilla had a limited vocabulary, and you know you could communicate, and it would make little signs. The only thing this gorilla said all day long was, you banana me, banana you me give. <laughs> Kept asking for food all day. But still, an intelligent creature. I'm tempted to make a joke at the expense of some high school students I know, but I'm not going to do that right now. I'm just going to skip right along. And then we come to you. Clearly, an entire echelon above the animals. You can reason, you can think, you can love, you can write poetry, you can do all sorts of things, make music. And then suddenly there's this enormous gap, and then the next creature up is God. We go from matter to matter with a soul to suddenly God, and, and, and nothing in between. It kind of doesn't seem like God's style, 
to leave that great big gap. Interestingly enough, you find all the major Western religions talking about the reality of angels and their stories are remarkably similar in Islam, in Judaism, and in Christianity. And there is this entire creation that we can't see, okay? Bodiless spirits. Now, um, let's talk a little about what an angel is, okay? An angel is a pure spirit. That's very hard to define. A spirit is something that knows, something that wills. That's what it means to be a person. That's what it means to be a spirit. That's what it means to be created in God's image. Everybody here can do that. You can know. You can will. That part of you that does it is spiritual. Ten minutes after you're dead, you're still going to be able to know, and you're still going to be able to will. You're still going to be able to love. Even though your body's dead. How is that possible? You are spirit and matter. The spirit is what continues. The spirit is what lives on. And parenthetically, I just feel inspired to say this for some reason, occasionally I have talks with people and they say, you know, they're talking about uh, suicide. And I'll reason with them. I'll say, why are, you, why are you doing that? Why are you thinking about that? They say, well, you know, I'm in such pain. And I'll say, the only thing that taking your life does is it kills a perfectly healthy body. Your spirit lives on and that's what's feeling the pain. I found that to work, actually. But that helps anybody ever in any argument Maybe you can remember it, but that's what a spirit is. An angel is a purely spiritual creature, okay? No body whatsoever. Incorruptible substance. Now, because of that, there's all kinds of cool realities that, that, that affect uh, the nature of angels. One of the things that affects the nature of angels, every single one of them is different. You see, we all have the same human nature. Everybody in this room. We all have the same human nature, even though we're individual persons. What makes us the same? Physicality, okay? biology. What makes us different? Soul, each soul unique. Each soul irreplaceable, irrepeatable, a unique creation. Now for an angel, there is no body. It's all spirit. What does that mean? It means that each one is a unique creation. Each angel is as different from each other angel as some one species of an animal is from another. One angel is as different from another as an alligator is from an owl or a giraffe or a dog or a bird. Each one unique. It's kind of interesting. It appears that God made, might have made lots of these angels. Remember the uh, story from the Gospel of Luke? Jesus says to his apostles, which shepherd among you would not leave the 99 on the hillside and go in search of the one who was lost and when he found him, bring him home rejoicing. Who's the shepherd? Jesus. Who's the one who's lost? You and me. Who are the 99 left behind? Could they be the angels? Could we be possibly outnumbered 99 to 1 by angels? It's a pretty cool thought. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. See, the old theologians speculate about these things over, over a beer. Okay. So talk amongst yourselves and I'm all done. Um, do you become angels when you die? No. Okay. Just dash your hopes. <laughs> um, they say that there's nine choirs of angels. This is entirely um, this is this is not like hard fast church teaching. 
But there's different kinds of angels. There's different degrees. Because each one is different, some are higher than others. Okay? There's no equality among them. There's, there's a pecking order because each one is different. Some of them are closer to God than others. And um, every angel has been created by God to serve him and to do his will. To know Angels are all about God. That's what they're all about. Knowing God, loving God, adoring God, serving God. And please God, we're all up there one day. Seeing God face to face, we'll know exactly why. See God face to face. Everything else, as Thomas Aquinas says, is as so much straw. So the angels are about the one thing that really matters. Some of them are assigned to help us. Some of them are guardian angels. But they're sent to us to, to give us messages. The word angel, by the way, means messenger. It comes from the Greek word angelos. And, um, and what can they do? What can they do? Well, since they're purely spiritual, they can affect your mind, intellect, and affect your will. Probably doing this a heck of a lot more than you're aware. Probably most of it behind the scenes. Suggesting something to your imagination, suggesting something to your will, moving your will, never forcing your will. Um, angels can, if God wills, move matter. Now, this is kind of a hard idea to get around, get your head around. I'd be sympathetic if it didn't make sense, but I'll try to explain it. Um, a spiritual reality can contain a material thing that doesn't work vice versa. For example, um, if you have a play, the play consists of sets and props and actors and actresses. All of them together are the play. It's like the spiritual reality over overarches and encompasses every individual material thing within it, but not vice versa. Similarly, spiritual reality encompasses material reality in any area. And sometimes that spiritual reality can alter, um, can move, can move matter. I've got one story. Again, if you don't want to believe this, that's fine. Brush it aside. But there's one time in which, you know, I swear it was a miracle. I was uh, in Tennessee. Took a group of high school students to work camp. Anybody know what work camp is? Bunch of people know. Okay, so we take about 25 kids down to Tennessee. And we have this one day off, we go to this park. This kid is on a cliff. 70 to 90 foot drop down. One inch of water covering a rock. It's too close to the edge. Being really, really irresponsible. And he slips and he falls. Okay, now I've been told that for every 10 feet you fall, the chance of survival decreases by 10%, such that if you fall 100 feet, statistically speaking, you can't survive that fall. Okay. So this kid falls about 90 feet, maybe 80 feet, it was hard to say. Not only did he survive the fall, but he didn't have any broken bones. He had a mildly sprained wrist and a tiny little scratch on his ear. We all rushed down to the bottom of the ravine, one inch of water on the rock. And they, you know, we call 911, and they bring in a helicopter, and they fly the guy off to Chattanooga Hospital, and they, they look at him, and he's fine. They release him that night. Say, what happened? And he says, I can't describe this to you. I don't know how to explain it. 
But just before I fell, I felt like I was landing in a great big pillow. Go figure. Can an angel intervene in matter? The church says that they can. I don't know why God lets them happen in some places and not in others, but it's possible. Sometimes angels step in and keep stuff from happening because it ain't your time yet. Okay? By the way, there's two main errors we can fall into when talking about this subject. One error is to think that everything is by angels. Just, you know, everything from uh, some miraculous survival of a terrible event to, I don't know, every time you get a nosebleed or acne or something, it's all caused by angels. And don't, don't go down that side. The other side is to say angels do nothing at all and everything is material and everything is rational and perfectly explicable. Don't go there either. I'm not trying to say what's what. I'm not trying to define what fits into what category. All I'm saying is this is what we believe and this is our tradition. And this is something we believe down through the centuries. Okay. Angels can defend against evil spirits. I think this is one of the things that they do most. There's a, a spiritual battle going on. And your soul is at stake. I often think that, you know, you see these little angel pictures, they're little cherubic uh, babies with little wings and harps. Maybe they're helping some two-year-old across a bridge. Um, or looking like some sort of celestial Mary Poppins floating away, looking at a lap in the umbrella. You really wanted to see an angel, you'd see some you know, big brute, tough guy, I don't know, duking it out on Fifth Avenue with some demon or something like that, and some big cloud above some completely oblivious guy as he's walking along. I think that's more, more the reality of it. By the way, when people see angels, they usually say that they look like very strong men. I don't know why, but that's what they say. Okay? Most of the, most of the stories are saying that. What does an angel look like? Look like anything they want. Okay? Truthfully, they don't look like anything at all because you can't see spirit. But they can assume form if they if they need to. Uh, they don't have wings. Okay? Wings symbolize speed. Thomas Aquinas says they can go from one place to another just by thinking about it. And that makes sense if they're purely spiritual. Uh, they don't have halos. Halos symbolize wisdom. Um, they're not little babies. The fact that they're drawn up as little babies symbolizes innocence. Um, but they are beautiful. Because spirit can contain more potentiality than matter. It's greater potential for an angel to be beautiful spiritually than anything physical could be. And if you believe in free will, some of the angels fell. Okay. Even fewer people want to believe in demons than believe in angels. But if you believe in angels and you believe in freedom, it stands to reason that some of the angels misused their freedom. Tradition is around one-third. Nobody really has a definite number. That number comes from the book of Revelation. It might be symbolic. Okay. Um, let me tell you this. They, because they're spiritual, they made a decision that's irrevocable. They see all of reality. They don't have to wait in time to wait for things to unfold. Like I can see that this is a microphone and not, I don't know, a beer or something like that. I can see that I've got this railing right here in front of me and if I go too far, I'll bump into it. I can see that. It's real. I know it. Angels can see the full reality of a decision before they make it. All of that knowledge is present, just like seeing. Some of them chose to go against God anyway. I don't know why. Um, it was pure, 
pure will. I mean, it was just evil in its most naked form. Some of them chose to go against God, and it's an irrevocable fall. The book of Revelation says there is a war in heaven, some kind of battle of minds and wills. What was the fall of the angels? What was it like? No one's really sure. Um, but there are different traditions that are remarkably harmonious. Both in Islam and in Christianity, the angels supposedly fell when they learned about the creation of man, this featherless biped, this embodied spirit. Okay? In, uh, in the Quran, there's a story of angels uh, refusing to serve when they, as soon as they see Adam. We have a tradition in our faith, small t, is not church teaching, it's just kind of a leading theory, that some angels saw the reality of the incarnation of God in Christ. And said, I'm not going to serve that. Perhaps they saw the reality of the crucifixion. The almighty, ever-living, all-majestic, and eternal glorious God, not only becoming this lowly creature beneath them, but being tortured and killed by them. Some of them weren't even repentant at all, didn't even care that he did it. Some of them said, not me. I, I, you know, non serviam, I will not serve. And this was the fall of the angels. Something was out of kilter before the world was even made. Something was off base. There was evil in the world before we were even created from the fall of the angels. Okay. Now, just because they fell doesn't mean they ceased being angels. Doesn't mean they ceased being what they were. Everything that an angel is, a demon is, except that they are completely uh, cut off from God and from all the glory and from all the goodness. They still have the spiritual reality. They still are non-bodily. They're still intellect. They're still will, just that the will is corrupted and the intellect is darkened. So you could say kind of by analogy that a demon could do what an angel could do if God willed it. And it seems there are some instances in which he does will it. So, whereas an angel may enlighten your mind, a demon may try to darken it, will try to darken it. angel will try to lead you toward God. A demon will try to make evil look like good. And as you know, it's very glamorous. No shortage of people rushing down the wrong direction. I believe in our current time, Satan has been given a very long leash. Okay. Um, we always have the possibility of rejecting or resisting or fighting against the enemy army. Um, but you know, we, we'd, we'd be wrong if we said they didn't exist. We'd be putting ourselves above God's revelation. Jesus himself talks about this reality. that All the angels are tempting us. All the demons, I'm sorry, are tempting us. Even Jesus was tempted. Many, this is getting a little bit further down, further afield, uh, carry on what's called an oppression. I don't know if you've ever heard this before. It's not possession, but it is, almost as the word suggests, a weight on the will and a weight on the intellect that someone carries around like a burden. It was Thomas Aquinas said that wherever the angels go, they carry all of the gloom of hell with them. And so the demons go, they carry all the gloom of hell with them. And for one reason or another, I do not know why, some people live with this. 
I'm not trying to get into any kind of amateur psychology here. I'm not saying that every depression is this. I'm not saying anything at all. I'm just saying this is part of reality, and we'd be fools to ignore it. And the most mysterious of all, for a reason I do not understand, some people are allowed to be possessed. Now, what does that mean? It's a temporary suspension of someone's intellect and will. If you've ever seen the movie The Exorcism of Emily Rose, it's probably the most accurate thing I've ever seen in film as to what a possession actually is like. Someone's walking around at all times with their intellect and their will locked up in the clutches of some dark power. So it comes and goes. And it's associated with all sorts of bizarre phenomena, like knowledge of future events and speaking in foreign tongues, having superhuman strength, and being resistant to holy objects, all the things that you've seen in the movies. It's part of reality. The church always, always investigates these things thoroughly and is extremely skeptical. The last of all possibilities they'll consider that might be a possession. The only thing I've ever seen along these lines is once I was down in Mexico, I was with the Missionaries of Charity, and there was some night when four strong men had to bring a woman flailing and wailing against her will into a church, screaming like a banshee, and brought her right in front of the Blessed Sacrament. She yelled out in this horrible, unearthly voice, and the superior said, call the bishop. I don't know what it was, but maybe that was a possession. I have no idea. But all I know is, if it's not real, then Jesus is a liar, because it's all across the Bible. One thing that I think we want to keep in mind here, though, is the world is a lot bigger place than you've ever realized. So much more than meets the eye. There's so much more. So much more than we ever dreamed of. And I think this is why, like, whenever I go into, like, a seventh grade classroom or a fifth grade classroom, and I open it up to questions, like, within a few minutes, it always starts talking about demons and possessions and stuff like that. And I think it's because everyone knows instinctively there's more to life than just matter. They know there's some kind of spiritual realities out there. We need to be aware of that, too. Sometimes I think, you know, the reason why... This is complete speculation on my part. But sometimes I think the reason why people have gone and invented like superheroes and stuff is we've forgotten about angels. We've forgotten about the real superheroes. We've forgotten about the real superhuman realities. And we would be truthful and we would be wise to remember them. I pray every day to my guardian angel. Every day. Okay. That little prayer you learned in second grade, angel of God, my guardian dear, I still say it when I'm 40 years old. Okay? Might as well. you got a friend in a high place. Every time I speak to people, I say a little prayer. I say, ask my guardian angel to communicate to the guardian angel of the one I'm speaking to so that that angel will speak in a way more perfectly than I can to that person's heart. I can't do that. Angel can. If they're real, why not? Why not? You know, sometimes you can't deal with some people out there in the world. Deal with their angel. <laughs> Hard time getting through to your spouse or significant other. Maybe it's a good place to start. I don't know. Only point is, it's a much bigger world than you think. I hope that in what I've said, I've 
introduced that idea to you and perhaps sparked your mind to think in a way that it has not thought before. And with that, I will arbitrarily stop speaking and open it up for questions because in my experience, all lectures are boring and all questions are interesting. Thank you very much. <laughs>